Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I wish that people would have talked to me as a child of God, about a child of God. That's one of the big things that I've noticed over the years that's changed within me and the ability to have empathy and compassion for people going through a variety of different things that I may or may not understand is that this is a person made in the image of God for the glory of God and ought to be treated with dignity. The heartfelt words of a mother and a wife who is navigating her world with several mental health challenges facing her family. With God on her side, she finds hope among the many obstacles along the way. And this is her story. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with Pastor Paul. So glad you've chosen to join us on Life Support. What we do here is we tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus through suffering and trauma. And we've got an amazing story to share with you today. With me is Cherry Monge, who is uh, a fine ministry worker and administrative director at Bethel Christian Fellowship in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Cherry, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for the invitation. You've got quite a story to tell, and there are many different elements to the story. And why don't we just take it back to uh, maybe where it all started and, and, and how your family uh, came together, and then how this story began to unfold. Sure. So um, my husband and I got married here in the cities, and we had two children. And when our youngest son was nearly two years old, we were on a family camping trip. And while we were out camping, uh, our son fell into the act of fire and burned himself on 20% of his body, second and third degree burns. And that was a trauma that set the tone for all of our family's story up to this point in time. So um, we went through a lot through his recovery, and he did recover. But through that, our family really changed. It became very different than it was before. In what ways? Well, before, I would say that we were pretty easygoing and, and carefree, and our son was a very happy-go-lucky little guy. And after the trauma, even, he he was still that way. Um, but we, as parents, became very protective, very overprotective, if you will. And uh, for me, I was safety-oriented. Everything was about safety and wanting to keep him safe, keep my other child safe, keep my husband safe. I, it just I became hyper vigilant with safety, and so 
what we didn't recognize at the time was there was an underlying anxiety that was running throughout our family life. Both my husband and I deal with anxiety and depression, and we did before the accident as well. But after that accident, it just, it, it kind of made it bigger, if you will. Now for my son, he, we tried to keep things as normal as possible. He does have scarring, um, and it took a while for him to figure out what that meant in his life. Of course, he doesn't remember a lot of the actual accident, but he does have residual effects from that. We started to notice that with him when he went into the second grade. So at that point in time, something shifted, and he started to have a lot of um, anxiety, separation anxiety. He was fearful, uh, unable to communicate what he was feeling, when he was feeling it, and life just took a different turn. By the time he was in the fourth grade, there was a marked difference in him. He wasn't happy, gold lucky. He wasn't um, outgoing in any sense of the word. And he had a lot of fear that kept him from doing things. And he started to have behavioral problems in school. And the school interpreted as behavior and that we needed to address his behavior and um, we needed to parent differently. We needed to do school differently so that he wasn't so disruptive. And it took us some time to figure out that it was mental illness that was operating. And he struggles with mental illness right now. He has acute anxiety. There are times that he won't go out of the house because of it. There, It's very, very limiting for his world. Hmm. Well, you've touched on a lot of things I'd like to pursue there. Um, and the the first thing that strikes me is that idea of wanting to protect. And I know what that feels like. If you, if you go through something like what you've been through, if you lose a child like we have, and especially when there's some kind of a traumatic event that happens, then your security blanket is pulled out from under you. Yes. And all of a sudden, the things that most people would say, well, you know, the chance of that happening is so small, you know, no problem. But now, all of a sudden, you're thinking, well, it can happen because we've seen something like that happen, right? Absolutely. The things that were, no, that won't happen to us, that won't happen to us, all of a sudden, it's in our living room. And those things that you... That meant that other things that were coming up all became a really big possibility. And so, like I said, we became hypervigilant, um, which meant that I didn't sleep very much. I was always on the alert, making sure that something wasn't going to happen. When we would hear a siren, it um, would create a PTSD response from both my son and myself. And we got into the habit, though, of, of dealing with that by whenever we hear a siren, we pray, dear Jesus, please help the people in trouble. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I mean, as a little guy, that really helped settle him and put it in the right place. But as parents, I mean, wow, you just, my eyes were always on my kids. We have a fenced-in backyard, but my eyes were continually on them because 
that thing that could just happen one in a hundred or one in a thousand, it happened. Mm-hmm. And now it makes it very real. So how for you during this period of time did God fit into this? And how you saw him and how you felt about him? Well, the first year after it happened was a, a year of a lot of medical appointments and therapies and that type of thing for, for my son. And so in that first year, we kind of, we were leaning into God. We were able to see his hand. We were able to see that when when he fell into the fire, my husband was right there to snatch him out. And we knew what to do in and there was help along the way. And through that first year, our faith community was very much with us, providing meals and support and watching um, our other son when we needed help with that. And so I really saw God very present. And the year anniversary of his accident, we actually had a, se- a little celebration where we invited people that had helped us along create a, a Thanksgiving garden for God in which we called out the different names of God. And so it was very present. Mm-hmm. So, but then as kind of the years went on and other things started to happen, which we weren't connecting back to the accident. That took us a while to figure that out, too, the PTSD involved. But as things started to happen and my son started to act out and there were behaviors and there was criticism coming from from these people, you you need to parent better or we can't handle him in Sunday school or, you know, all of these different things, I kind of felt like God was letting me down and he wasn't there um, in the day to day, like I needed him, and he didn't, he didn't keep my son completely safe, and he didn't protect him. And now, we're dealing with these other things, and these judgments, and these pressures, and this anxiety. And once again, he's not showing up on the day to day way to bring us that peace that we had hoped in, mm-hmm. that we had thought would be there. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, Cherry, that the people that are listening to us right now have a lot of grace, so we're going to talk really frankly about what it's like to navigate through a church when you've had, uh, when you're dealing with PTSD, when you've got stuff in your background. Um, I know that it's a tremendously isolating feeling when you bring your kids to a children's ministry. Now, I'm a lead pastor. And so I I haven't experienced that here at Ridgewood because they kind of took our whole family as a package. But in other churches that I've pastored, they didn't know what to do with my kids. Mm -hmm. So then you feel judged. Yes. And And then you want to just pull back, and you're looking at them saying, you don't know what you're talking about. And then in the background you're thinking, well, maybe they do, and maybe I'm just a terrible parent. Is it hard, isn't it? Yes. All of those things would run through my mind on a regular basis. Is it me? Is it him? Is this is this preventable? Is this do we need to, what do we need to do here? Do I need to parent differently? Does do does he need to be medicated? What what's going on here? And for our church, we didn't have a lot of experience with that. And so we kind of paved the way in the sense that Okay, I started asking the questions, when are we going to have a special needs ministry? And it 
and at first glance too it looked like special needs that he had and and some type of a disability but in reality it came back it, it kept coming back to mental health mental health and it's one thing to deal with special needs and it's another thing to deal with mental health and so we were very very far away from getting the help that we needed within the church for mental health and the problem is you're the one who's going through the issues and you're the ones that have to pave the way instead of somebody else coming alongside of you you're the one that has to forge the way forward yes and and at that point in time i was in um, leadership at our church as well so i had a voice um but again, it's difficult to be a leader of the child that's causing the trouble when you when you don't know what's going on and there's no programming for them. And it it just became clear that he could not participate mm-hmm. in the activities that were that were available at our church. So he would come to church with us um, because obviously we couldn't leave him alone, and he would sit in a stairwell with his iPad and his hood on, and that was his safe spot. Um, It was nobody else, um, it was in an out-of-the-way place. So I knew where he was, he knew where I was, and that's how he did church. We'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Cherry in just a moment. You know, Pastor Paul is hosting this program from a unique perspective. A survivor himself of family trauma, losing a wife and a son. And that's what life support is all about. Survivors in discussion with survivors. My name is Steve Johnson, Executive Director of Five Stone Media. And we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program. And for more about our work, log on to lifesupportresources.org. And now, back to... Pastor Paul, what do you wish people would have done during that period of time? So we're doing this now as a teaching opportunity for those who are listening, not as a, any kind of accusations being thrown around. But what do you wish people would have done? I wish that people would have talked to me as a child of God, about a child of God, hmm. That's one of the big things that I've noticed over the years that's changed within me and the ability to have empathy and compassion for people going through a variety of different things that I may or may not understand is that this is a person made in the image of God for the glory of God and ought to be treated with dignity. And I wish that somebody had come to me and said, your child is worthwhile your child is worth us figuring this out, um, and we want to be with you in this. Um, instead of just pushing it back on me and we're not capable, we don't know how to handle this. And yet I understand, too, on the flip side, that there are other children involved and you mm-hmm. have to watch out for the safety of all people. But if one person had come and said that uh, from leadership, had come and said that, it would have been very helpful. Now, I had close friends in the mix who helped me as much as they were able as well. But again, it comes down to keeping their children safe as well as mine. And how do you, how do you balance that? How do you choose? So, you know, I, I'm very much aware that there is a choice that needs to be made. 
But if churches are just learning about this, I would say learn as much as you mm-hmm. can and and believe the parent. Believe what the parent is saying. Believe the struggle of the parent. You might not understand it. You might not agree with it. But the parent needs to be heard and supported through the process. We were exhausted. You know, we would come to church hoping for a little bit of a break. We were doing this 24-7. And... Um, and the support wasn't there. The support yeah, that's, that and that's what Five Still Media is really working on with the life support curriculum is to help train church leaders about how to deal with people who are in trauma. And, you know, for youth pastors, for children's pastors, for uh, lead pastors, you know, you've got people in your, in your groups, in your congregation that are experiencing acute trauma or have experienced acute trauma. So you may have an outlier in your group that gives you trouble or someone that doesn't come consistently. Mm-hmm. Man, the worst thing that you can do is put those eyes of judgment on them because it's, it's for the people that are actually experiencing it, those eyes of judgment really hurt. And, yes. and you're not fooling anyone. They see those eyes of judgment. Right. And, and just the body language, how they approach you and... I think what you said is really, really good. Just that come up and say, listen, how can we together help your child? Tell me about your child. Yes. What's your child been through? Mm-hmm. What are the behaviors that I'm seeing and, and where do they come from? I, I don't think that question gets asked very often. I, I agree. And in as my son got older and wanted to, he, he had good friends that were participating in youth group. And but it was a hard thing for him to consider doing, leaving the house and going to this place that had been unsafe for him. But the youth pastor at the time came to me with just those questions and said, what can I do? What can I do to support him? And so very slowly he began to build a relationship with my son. I said, well, you can stop by the house. You could take him out one-on-one. We could establish a plan and understand his story and understand what he needs and realize that he's not doing these things out of defiance. It's a coping mechanism. It's a safety mechanism for him. This isn't a defiance and disrespect against um, God or against the church or against you personally. So that youth pastor really took the time to, to hear the story and to make inroads and with my son. And eventually he started to be able to attend youth group. He would have to take breaks. Mm -hmm. He would have to go to another part of the building. But that was understood with the the youth pastor. It's okay if you go take a break to this area. And not to have that expectation that it, it follows suit, like he follows the program or follows the schedule, if you will. You know, um, one of my twin sons who are still reacting to the trauma they faced when their brother was killed, is a baseball player. Uh, He's 14 years old, plays traveling baseball, and you have Sunday tournaments, you have Sunday games. And one of the other parents was a Christian who went to another church who, uh, it was quite a biblically astute church, and he would often ask me, why does your son play on Sundays? And that question wasn't really an open-ended question. It was, why would you ever let your kid play on a Sunday? (laughs) What he didn't know 
was this was the only normal thing that my son had going in his life where he felt like he could be himself. And frankly, it was more important than actually sitting in a pew. Now, I am not at all, at all, underselling church. I'm a pastor. And under normal circumstances, yeah, I think, you know, parents have to make those choices. But I wanted to say, you know, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Because you don't know. And mm-hmm. and I think what you and I are getting to is, you know, those of you who are walking through something with someone or somebody in your sphere of influence that is is struggling don't just assume you know. Just lean in. Right. Be, be present. Ask questions. Yeah, that that's a great point, a great summary on that. Because, as you said, you don't know what it means for the individual that's going through it. In my case, with my son, there are things that we as a family celebrate that perhaps other families would think were insignificant. But for him, it's a milestone. For him, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal that he went um, out of the house. It's a big deal that he he works one hour a day at a, at a place outside of our home. Mm-hmm. That is huge, and that is to be celebrated. But I sometimes believe that that humanity in general and and Christians as well think that it's got to be, we've got to make these great strides. We have to perform these great deeds or we have to follow the norm. And that indicates our worth. That indicates our, our um, Christianity. My son being in a pew on Sunday morning is not going to determine whether he is a believer or not. That's right. And we have a box that we've built that we, you know, not just kids. We want to shove people into boxes and label them and so forth. And, you know, I I sound like I'm being really hard on the church. (laughs) Uh, We all have a sin problem. We're all dealing with our own stuff, you know. So this is is more of a, hey, you know, um, kind of take a look at what we're going through so you can help someone else, not any kind of a, a judgment on on people that go to church. But, you know, Jesus didn't, he, he didn't care what box somebody should have been in. He found the people who were the outliers. He found mm-hmm. the people who needed him. You know, he, he didn't necessarily um, hang around with people that had their lives going well. And he said, I, you know, they don't need me. It's the sick that need me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the church could really learn from their own Lord's example. Yes. Because he found those people, mm-hmm. and he loved those people. Mm-hmm. He didn't let them off the hook, but he loved them. Right. Right. And I, I've seen that as um, within our, our own body, when we have individuals who are struggling with different things, be it special needs, mental illness, and we have more people in the congregation that are experiencing trauma, that we want to put them on the edges. And we want to just barely deal with them versus embracing them Mm -hmm. and seeing the value that they bring to the body of Christ. And that they're and I know that some churches do great special needs ministries yeah, where they're drawing sure. in those folks yep. and utilizing what they have. And we're still in the learning process of that. But I think it's important for church leadership to consider how is each person in this body able to minister 
for Christ? How are they able to contribute to this body? Yeah, those are wise, wise words. Cherry, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to pick this up next time because I have so much more I want to talk to you about. But thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. Appreciate that so much. You know, I want you to know that as you've been listening, that there is hope in this. And maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you are you can relate to the story. Uh, maybe it's even in you and you feel isolated or you're exhausted for one of your kids or your spouse. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want you to know that regardless of how you might be feeling or that pain in your heart, the ache that won't go away, that Jesus understands that. He loves you and he pursues you as he did so many others as we watched his earthly ministry. So be encouraged in that thought today. Give your burdens to Christ and allow him to help you. This is Life Support. We tell stories about people who are finding Jesus in the midst of trauma and in grappling with these kinds of issues. And I want to thank you for allowing us to spend some time with you. Our partners are wonderful. We uh, are so thankful for Faith Radio, for Five Stone Media. Faith Radio is at myfaithradio.com. Five Stone Media at fivestonemedia.com. There's a video version of this podcast on that website, fivestonemedia.com. And I'm thankful to Ridgewood Church as well for allowing us to produce this show. And so please know that there's hope for you. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.